Hi there, and thanks for tuning in to the Four-Eyed Radio Network. You're about to listen to another proud presentation brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs. Stand out from the crowd. For more information, visit revengelover.com and mention the podcast for 10% off of your order. Wallop and web snappers. My spider sense is tingling. Tingling. Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Doug. And I'm Derek. And is your spider sense tingling? Only to steal a very valuable drive that the entire gang world is going after. <laughs> I just told you the plot of the episode. I'm glad that's how your spider sense works. <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's it's like the Spider Woman psychic spider sense. Ah, it's very I like there that. There you go. I like that. Reference. <laughs> to listen to the show, find us on foureyedradio.com and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. And we are continuing our coverage of the second season of The Spectacular Spider-Man, so if you would like to watch along, you can find this show on DVD. You might be able to find it on Blu-ray. It is out there, but out of print, so maybe a little bit tougher. And you can certainly find it on most digital platforms. Easy peasy. And I just told you the plot of the episode that we're talking about right up front, pretty much. (laughs) And that's more or less all that happens in the episode, which is fine and fun. And it'll make this one easy to talk about, I think. Yes. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. I think it'll be easy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Let's let's just get right into it because there's a lot of of action happening here. This is The Spectacular Spider-Man Season 2, Episode 8, entitled Accomplices. And this is the beginning of the criminology arc. So this is a new arc, and I think you can definitely feel it, because it feels very different from the last few episodes that we have gotten. It definitely feels like a new arc. That's for (laughs) sure. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let's do this. I read the last synopsis from INDV. You should read it this time, because this one looks fun, too. (laughs) The synopsis for this one, per IMDb is as follows. Peter volunteers as photographer for an old Pulitzer winner discarded by Jonah. The Discover the Underworld's recently released former kingpin sable man Freddy is auctioning genetic technology... Pardon me? Is auctioning genetic technology to create monsters at will. I'm not going to reread that because it didn't make sense... At all the first time. It's also not accurate at all. (laughs) As Spider-Man, he tries to keep it out of the bid winner's hands, but soon finds that also means taking on sore losers. Cool. Wow. Okay. Nothing to say about that. That was, that was nonsense. Yep. That's why I gave that one to you. International, (laughs) international air date is March 8th, 2009. Then it aired in the U.S. October 7th, 2009. So I think there was a, yeah, there was a big break in the U.S. airings between the last episode and this episode. Months. Yeah. Significant, which sucks. It's like waited for so long and then we get seven episodes and it's like, nope, waiting for the rest of the summer and beginning of fall. At least it was between our. Yeah, I mean, that's a, a decent enough stopping point, I think, because there isn't really much of a cliffhanger in that one right. that leads into the next one. So 
Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a decent enough stopping point, I think. Written and directed by familiar folks, like like kind of has been for the last few episodes. Um, written by Kevin Altieri, who we talked about on our episode 60, and directed by Nicole Dubuque, who we talked about on our episode 64 just a couple episodes ago. Yeah, we have a few characters worth mentioning here. As it is a new arc, there are a number of characters introduced, or newly featured, or featured in new ways. So, first one I want to mention, Roger Kingsley is introduced in this one. And he's voiced by Courtney B. Vance, who's not really known for voice work, but is definitely known for some big stuff, especially recently. Um, One notable voice job, voice piece that he did was as the narrator for Wes Anderson's Isle of Dogs. Um, But mostly he's known. Yeah, mostly he's known for stuff on screen, though. Recently, he portrayed Johnny Cochran in the very acclaimed The People vs. O.J. Simpson American Crime Story. Hmm. So that's probably what people recently would know him from. And he currently portrays George Freeman on HBO's Lovecraft Country, which I know is highly conversed about at the moment of recording. I really want to watch that show. I've only heard good things about it. Yeah. Um, He is also set to portray C.L. Franklin in the third season of National Geographic's Genius, which is an anthology historical nonfiction Oh, huh. Interesting. Series. Yeah. The first one, the first season was about Einstein. The second season was about Picasso. And the third season, which he's supposed to be in, is supposed to focus on the life of Aretha Franklin. But I I don't know where that's going or when that's happening because I know production was shut down due to the pandemic. So TBD on that one, but an exciting thing nonetheless. I love the pivot from, like, white guys to Aretha Franklin for that. That's fucking yeah. cool. Yeah, I like that that show I, – I want I want to check that show out, actually, because it seems like kind of a prestige drama, but it's about real people. Yeah. And I like that despite it starting with the most obvious historical genius you could think of, it then turns towards fine arts and music. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. I really dig that. Yeah, I like that. So I'm excited to, to learn more about that. But I, I like him. He does a great job. Kingsley's – fun i mean he doesn't doesn't get a lot of like crazy stuff to do in this episode but i think he's fun with what he gets to do and he's an important character here so glad that they Mm -hmm. got somebody who does a good job we also get sable man freddy aka silver sable in this episode Mm -hmm. and she is voiced by nikki cox who i didn't recognize by name but was surprised to sort of like see the resume for because her Hmm. credits list isn't very long but she Clearly was considered like a hot commodity by like some production group because like in the second half of the 90s, because she was Tiffany, a member of the main cast of the WB's Unhappily Ever After, which I have heard of. Oh, yeah. And was a character named Taylor on Norm, which I've heard of. And apparently those roles and her popularity on those shows led to a sitcom that was like literally created to star her called Nikki. So she like had one of those shows where like it's literally just named after her. Yeah. But it didn't do very well, and it was canceled with a half dozen episodes still on the shelf. And then Spectacular Spider-Man is, like, one of her last few credits, and she hasn't done anything since. Weird. So, like, what happened? (laughs) Wow. A really kind of, like, fascinating fact that is not related to acting at all because she's a writer, too. She's the sole writer credit on her, at the time, husband's Grammy-nominated comedy album, which was Happy and a Lot by Jay Moore. So she oh. wrote a comedy album that her husband performed that was nominated for a Grammy. Weird. Which is so weird. weird. 
I I I, I don't know a lot about like stand up comedy, and I don't even know if I'm assuming he's a stand up comedian as well. But I'm like shocked that she is the credited writer for a comedy album she didn't perform. <laughs> like it makes sense, but it feels weird in the world of comedy. How did she? And yeah, it's I, yeah. I don't really understand how that stuff. Because the writing not... and performance, I assume, not knowing much, is typically intertwined into one person, but it doesn't have to be. <laughs> yeah, it it's is. Yeah, that, I mean, I, yeah, I'm not. I'm not in the know on the comedy world. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. So maybe that's a common thing. I don't know. Yeah. But, huh, how did she end up on Spectacular Spider Man? I don't know. I have no <laughs> idea. So I mean, it's. It's kind of later than the stuff that she did that was popular. So I have no clue. I don't know if it's just maybe somebody on the team was like a big fan of her shows and was like, oh, you know, who would be great. Like, I have no clue. I have no clue. Yeah. And it's like this isn't I mean, she's fine in this episode. Like, I think she does a good yeah. performance, but it, she's also not like. I would have expected someone like this when they get just sort of like a random pull to have like a really distinct voice or something. Um, yeah. Like, a, and, you oh, know, you know who we need? That voice. Yeah. Like, you know, I feel like Trisha Helfer feels like that. Like her voice is so distinct mm-hmm. and, and she fits Black Cat so well that it yeah. makes sense that like if she had done one thing in her entire life, but so I could see someone remembering her and trying to pull her in for that. It doesn't really feel like this for Silver Sable. And again, her performance is fine. Like she's fine. But I don't feel like it's like it's not like her specific voice is so distinctive that it like, doesn't have to be her. Yeah, so it's cool, good for her for getting this role, but it's just a weird, yeah. weird that it's her. Okay, fine. <laughs> Very strange. Cool. You did a, you did good. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> the only other person I want to mention, just because I was surprised that we hadn't mentioned him in this section, maybe because he this isn't the only character he plays, as was as was alluded to last week. It's just Frederick Foswell, aka Patch, who's voiced by James <laughs> Arnold Taylor, who's the same person who voices Harry. We've definitely talked about him in episodes. We've never mentioned him in this section. I felt like it was time. <laughs> and this yeah. episode does feature him pretty heavily. It does. And has a particular character beat worth highlighting. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, let's do it. Let's let's just do it. This episode opens with Black Cat. Hey. Yeah. Hey, girl. What's up? I do like that it's kind of a fake out where it's like, is this a Black Cat episode? Oh, nope. Okay, bye. I was so excited, though. I, was <laughs> I know, so I excited. know. I know. It's funny, though, because I think it, yeah. it, it works because it, it I think it sort of like makes the makes the stakes and, the, and what's happening yeah. very clear. Well, and this episode very much encompasses the entire world we've seen so far. So mm-hmm. it's fun to bring her in without necessarily needing her for the whole thing. It just like expands yeah. everything outward even more. Because that's the thing. I think that's the thing that we liked about her first appearance is that, like, she's been doing this for a while and mm-hmm. she knows all these ins and outs of stuff. And it's like, oh, okay. So even though superheroes and supervillains are new, this very particular comic booky criminal underworld has existed for a very long time. Yeah. So, yeah. So it makes that very clear. Perfect. But yeah, so it's a it's a we, it's a great sequence of her like breaking into a building. Lots of beautiful animation. There's a point when she's like falling through a bunch of lasers. Oh my god! And it's so beautiful. Like the shadows. The laser sequence is incredible. It's wonderful. There's a like, great shadow work on it. Like the way that she like fluidly like flips around as she's like jumping through it and stuff. Yeah. Spot on. So good. It's such a brief appearance from her, but they get so much out of it. Yeah. 
she's she's in this kind of like it's kind of like a Chrysler looking building that she's in one like a skyscraper that's supposed to look like that. Um, we don't really know where it is exactly, but you know it's apparently an important building because <laughs> she's in there to steal this like black box from a super highly guarded conference room inside of the skyscraper. She uses a glove that imitates Donald Mencken's fingerprints. So that immediately connects us to like Osborne and Oscorp, right? And she gets in there just as she's about to grab the box. The lights come up and she turns around and there's a whole bunch of like the biggest supervillains, um, including Hammerhead, Vulture, Patch, who we saw earlier in a, a few episodes ago. And of course, Doc Ock. In a tuxedo. He's in a tuxedo! He also has his little tentacles around two, like, beautiful women, too. Yeah. <laughs> Which is um, weird. <laughs> you don't have to pretend, Otto. I know. You don't need a beard, let alone two. I'm waiting right here. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'll let, you, I'll let you figure it out, Otto. I'll, I'll be right here. Yes. <laughs> yes. He looks so good in his tuxedo. I'm so happy he's not wearing his like grody uh, trench coat thing. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. He's a man. He's a man of class now. Exactly. Yeah. No, he looks great in a tux. And it really highlights how, uh, you know, I was I was trying to figure out, like, do they literally make him bigger or is it just posturing and angles and stuff? It is definitely just posturing and angles and stuff like they're not trying to trick us at all. Because when he's standing next to the other villains, he's such a little, like, hamster of a man. Mm-hmm. Like, he's so tiny next to them. Yeah. But oh, he always has, so like, funny. a scowl, like a menacing scowl on his face to balance it out. Yeah. So he still looks like – and, you know, the fact that he's, like, got Vulture right next to him and he's yeah. got his tentacles around. His tentacles give him, like, a larger appearance than he actually is, I yeah. think, too. Yeah. And, you know, they're wrapped – around two gorgeous ladies so like there's that too (laughs) stop using women as props doc ock this is the problem i had with you the first time you showed up he is evil he's he is evil let's make that clear he's misunderstood (laughs) trying to take over the world like very recently (laughs) i know by kidnapping a teenage girl like, I guess. Ah, I think he's evil. Look, I he think treats he's women evil. like shit, okay? But, you know, I, I'm criticizing him for that. He does respect people's identities and pronouns and, like, calls Electro Electro. So, like, he's respectful in certain <laughs> ways. He's just not respectful to women, I guess. <laughs> oh, Doc. Such a <laughs> master's he's re- flaw. He's respect. No, no. You know what? He's respectful to older women because he was cool with Aunt May and Aunt Anna in in group therapy remember that he respects older women he just has a problem with like young attractive women that's the <laughs> hurdle he needs to get over i don't want to analyze that <laughs> no you should well he looks yeah. nice he's a problematic king <laughs> yep yep problematic king i think that's 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 the right way to land on that. <laughs> anyway, I, I love this interaction so much, though, because the whole yes. the whole reason for this black cat fake out is to basically imply that this is a very important box because she's like, yeah. oh, shit. I mean, I was here to steal stuff. I didn't realize that this was like y'all in y'all's court. Like she's like, it's funny because they fully they fully separate out like what is her domain and what is their domain. And they like respect that. Like, yeah, um, she's like, all I didn't, sides. Yeah, she's like, I didn't realize the big man was bidding, and Hammerhead's like, um, Hammerhead, I like that she wrote it down, this chew toy is only for the big dogs, so scat, cat. And it's even, it's like a no harm, no foul situation, which is so funny. She's just like, okay, that's fine, y'all do your thing, sorry, yeah. didn't realize it, like, it's cool, 
All right, on with on with your stuff. They let her leave through the front door, and she leaves. Like it's yeah. She just walks right past them. Nobody says anything else. Like totally respectful. <laughs> I love it because it like it just implies that this just it, there's just a history, and they all know each other, and it's like everybody is respectful of their own mm-hmm. domains until they aren't, which is the ultimately sure. what happens in this episode. But yeah, but I like it. Basically, it's all the big parties. It's like you have Doc Ock and Vulture, then you have Hammerhead representing the big man, and you have Patch, who is like a who the fuck is that guy? And then Donald Menken, who like represents Osborne and Oscorp. So pretty much all of the major players that are in New York at the current moment. Yeah. Which is cool. Like you said, using the world that's been established and we cut to, we cut to the credits right as Menken says, shall we get down to business? Love it. Here is where I would like <laughs> to revisit your theory and would love to get your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yep. Yeah, uh-huh. Because the opening credits, I think don't support your theory. Um, no, I think it's still no, okay, I think it still applies. I think the problem is that is what this episode is. The opening credits feature Liz, Harry, and Captain Stacy, and none of them get very much screen time. The thing is, they're literally the only non-villainous characters other than Peter Parker that that are in this episode at all. Right. And to be fair, even though they're barely there, they do all get important moments that are important to them. And that was my original theory is that it's not necessarily people who are important to the plot or even necessarily always important to Peter's character development, though that often is there. It's more that they have some, if they're not important to Peter's character development, they have something important happen to them. And all three of them are like present in major ways in this episode. It's not much because the episode is devoted pretty much all the screen time is at the villains. None of them are going to be in the opening yeah. credits, obviously. I could have maybe <laughs> seen Norman Osborn being in the credits, like because yeah. of what happens in the end. But I think that that could, I, I think that that would be helpful. But I think that that, I could sort of see that maybe spoiling the end of it a little bit. Not really, because he's always a presence. But they if put they're Harry trying to... in the credits in the episode he returns, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> Harry gets his little Harry gets his little moment of inferiority. There's the whole subplot with Peter and Liz's date. And Captain Stacy is present for all of the shenanigans that happen. I think the theory still checks out. It's just showing that, like, the, they, they do have to reach a little bit when you have an episode like this that is, that is very consciously not about Peter's personal life at all when all the characters that are in the credits are from Peter's personal life. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think it disproves your theory. I would swap Harry for Norman because I don't think it would be – a problem to have Norman in there. Yeah. And I, I think even though it doesn't disprove your theory, it's definitely the weakest link in the theory, <laughs> but yeah. you're oh, right. Absolutely. I mean, it's all villains. This whole episode is villains. So what are you going to do? <laughs> Graduate Otto Octavius into the credits, please. It is funny. Cause I do think that like, it would have, I think it would make sense for some of the villains to be in the opening. Like, Norman Osborn is in the credits. Like, I know he's not, like, villain-villain on the same scale as some of the evil, but, like, some of the villains could just be in the opening credits because they're important. Yeah. And sometimes J.J. himself is kind of a villain. So, like, you can you can, you can can play around. But it's I fine. I think they, it's fine. they could have gotten away totally with doing – and this would be weird, I think. I think it would make you scratch your head at first. But I think they could have gotten away with doing, like, Foswell, Norman, and Captain Stacy. Yeah. I think that would have been fine. Whatever. Yeah. I think that they're they're trying to limit themselves to the characters that they have. Because I think that we've, to my memory, I think we've seen everybody who's in all of the credits this season. That would make sense. Gwen, Liz, MJ, JJ, Captain Stacy, Norman, Harry. Flash. And Flash. And that's it. And I think that that makes sense because they're the ones that I think are, 
I think we're to expect you're going to either play the biggest role or get the most character or expect to look for the most character development throughout it, even if other characters get it. So like, and I think that like, they're probably trying to keep the range as close as possible so as to not like have to then justifying making a character title for like literally every time a character has a spotlight, which can be like, what's like, well then why don't we do one for Sandman? Like, why don't (laughs) we do one for Hammerhead? Why isn't he in the main credits? You know, like, yeah, I think it makes sense to limit yourselves a little bit when you're doing this fun thing. (laughs) I get you. And I don't, I don't, like I said, it doesn't disprove anything. Look, you put a dissertation out there. You have to defend it to this episode. This is the episode that challenges you. <laughs> it is funny. This is definitely the one that's sort of like, oh, okay. I can see how that's a little <laughs> bit of a weak thing that you're doing, but it's still fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So after the credits, we revisit that group and this auction. Mankin tells the group that the bidding will begin once a final guest arrives. And that final guest arrives right as he says this. And it's Sable Man Freddy. Is she? So no. Silver so Sable. What- Mm-mm. No, they this they combined her. Your what's your ask? I know what you're going to ask. Is Sable is Sable Silvermane's daughter or related to him at all in the comics? And the answer is no. They consolidated her with Silvermane's like um, what's her name, Alicia, right, or Alicia or something, whatever her name was. We've even met her before in the '90s show. They consolidated her with Silvermane's canonical daughter. Only because Silver Sable, Silver Maid, it makes sense. And, you can and that's that's specific to the, my question because I don't – I admittedly don't know very much about Silver Sable. Mm-hmm. That's confined to this show. I, w- I yeah. was wondering, like, is this a thing that happens to her all the time where she's just nope. sort of, like, reassigned identities? But no, that's just the show. Not that okay. I know of. Because I do think – because gotcha. it does it does also come, unfortunately – but, but it, I mean, it works for this fine. But I think it does sort of, unfortunately, come at the cost – of Silver Sable being an anti-hero in most iterations because she's just like a mercenary. And mm-hmm. by making her the daughter of a crime lord, she's just a straight up villain in this show, basically. So yeah. like, if you like that aspect of her character, you're not getting it here. But I think it works because honestly, I think Silvermane's daughter, whatever her name was, I think it's Alicia, right? I don't know. I think like, so. I think she's fine. But like, it's just like, oh no, an evil daughter. Like it, it's cool that his daughter is like a, like a mercenary with a giant staple gun. This is cooler. <laughs> we didn't, we didn't love that stuff in the 90s show when it first showed up. So like, it's fine. This is fine. Yeah. This serves this episode really, really well. It does. It does. And you know what's, well, actually I'll, I'll, I'll get to it later when we get to it more. Cool. I think it, I think it serves this episode well too. And it's fun to, in, now that we've established the different, crime parties to now introduce another one that's also like an established character in a very yeah. creative different party to yeah. cause some conflict yes so she she arrives and hammerhead and her are clearly very familiar with each other despite hammerhead being surprised that she's there and we know that they're familiar with each other because they kind of use pet names for each other she calls him hamster and he calls her little sable and mentions Less that original. she's Less original, and I want to revisit at some point because he also mentions that she's all grown up. I don't like it. I feel like that's worth revisiting. Don't like it. (laughs) I know you already know why. (laughs) Don't like it. (laughs) But that's not relevant yet. All we know is that they know each other. So bidding does open, and it opens at five hundred thousand, and they bid a little bit, but. The whole thing stalls very quickly when Roderick Kingsley drastically raises the bid to 50 million, which is more than he or any of the participants bidding have in their bidding account. As this works, they have a particular bidding account they're drawing from, and Mencken knows exactly how much that is. And he's like, sir, you don't have that much money in the account you brought with you. 
So all of them are like, that's fine. We'll all increase our accounts and we'll resume tomorrow so that yeah. we can all big bid like this guy. Uh-huh. Two things in the scene. Don't like that Mencken is like gentleman and lady referring to Silver Sable <laughs> when there are literally, which is first of all like shitty. And also second of all, there's literally two women that Ak has, but I guess they're objects, so they don't even count as people. So there's technically yeah. only one lady in the room. Cool. Thanks, assholes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but also, I like Patches. Two million dollars and one cent. Yeah. <laughs> Patch is so funny in this scene, and it all makes sense later, but like, you see him there and you're like, who do you, like, do you just represent like, the sort of <laughs> enigmatic underground? Because we've right. seen you before. We know where you're coming from, but like, you're not all that established in this realm. So it's like funny no. that he's there just and that fits perfectly with him being this sort of like eyebrow raising questionable figure in the room. And one like, cent <laughs> literally doesn't look like a real person. Like it, right. it works. I like it. Right. It's great. <laughs> so at Midtown High, Peter, Liz, Gwen, Hobie, and Flash are listening to another lesson from Captain Stacy about the importance of backup and having somebody to watch your back. And of course, because he's a police captain, he's presenting this specifically in the context of like police partners and like beat partners. And he, he presents this example where Peter and flash are like partnered up to back each other up. And Peter interjects with like a joke about flash saying like, couldn't I have a dog instead for the bonus IQ points, which har har har. But captain Stacy replies like, dude, wisecracks don't save lives, Pete as I'm sure you know, with a very pregnant pause and a very specific look that elicits a very specific look back from Peter. They even have like a little musical sting, I think, that they repeatedly use whenever (laughs) George Stacy makes an ominous, like subtle, like not so subtle remark with him too. Yeah, they're making it very clear (laughs) that we're supposed to be paying attention to these interactions. I mean, they did it at the end of last week's episode. They're doing it here. It's not that subtle, that yeah. we are being made to believe that Captain Stacy suspects something is up with Peter and that it's probably that he suspects his superhero identity. We don't yeah. get that directly, so we're only left to examine it, but that's definitely where it's like pointing us. So yeah. like I said last week, we'll see where it goes, but that's what we're supposed to be thinking about. Sure. What I also don't want to see where it goes. Remember how last week I was like, hey, George, can you like plan out your classes a little bit better so <laughs> students aren't asking questions right before the bell rings? Wow, guess what happens again, buddy? <laughs> the same joke as last week too. Hobie gets cut off, can't ask his question because the bell rings. You had one yeah. one instance of leeway, George. Not not this time, buddy. Mm-mm. Plan out your fucking lessons better. You know when your class ends, you have a clock there. Come on. Yeah, I I am fine with the Hobie getting cut off joke unless we're going to repeat the joke. Like yeah, you need I don't to like create that. new circumstances every time you do it or don't do it. It felt like they're like we need th- that they decided that they wanted to have it in every episode from here on out, but then like and that's forgot fine to by put me. In, yeah, but then they forgot to put it in this episode. So they're like, "Uh, well wait, he's probably in the classroom, right? We'll just do it there." Okay, now we got it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're probably right. And you kind of knew it was happening when Hobie was there. <laughs> yeah. So after class, Harry notices an Oscorp Osberry in Peter's locker. Remember, like, blackberries and stuff? Oh, mm-hmm. boy. So hmm. that's very 2009 in that 
but it's the brand spanking new Oscorp Osberry. It's like top of the line, one of the few that exist. Um, and Peter's like, oh, yeah, um, you know, I got it from Norman. And he does, like, to his credit, like, recognize that, like, this, I shouldn't say this, but I'm not going to, like, lie. So he's like, I, so he tries to, like, play it down, like, but, you know, because he needs to keep track of me because of the mentor mentee thing. It's not actually that great. But Harry's like, I know you're just trying to make me feel better, but it still bums me out. So bye. And he leaves. Yeah. And that's all we see of him in this episode. <laughs> yeah. Yup. I would like to see Peter use this at some point. I think that would be fun. If only because it reminds me of a sidekick, which I always wanted. Those yeah, it does. so cool. <laughs> I miss like slidey, like slide out QWERTY keyboards. Like gimmick phones. Yeah, I man. want gimmick phones back. <laughs> I had a Razor and a Crazer. Whoa, they, I had a Razor, but I never had a Crazer. They both had terrible batteries. <laughs> <laughs> what? They couldn't fit a good battery in that tiny little <laughs> slim package? Weird. No, yeah, and the Crazer is even smaller, so. <laughs> <laughs> I like that I live in a world where I have a literal, like, piece of glass that is a computer in my pocket, and I'm like, give me the chocolate back. <laughs> <laughs> Where's my Nokia brick? <laughs> oh, man, wonderful. <laughs> so after this interaction with Peter and Harry, Liz pops by to ask Peter where they're going for dinner. And they do it as a joke where she says, uh, what does she say, like French or Italian? And he answers like, no, Spanish, I'm going to class. She's like, silly, Peter, because he's a weirdo and she loves that. I'm talking about where we're going to get dinner. And he's like, oh, shit, that's right. Like, we're supposed to go to dinner. Just so you know, I have a meeting at the Bugle, but it'll probably end in time. I should be able to make it. And she's like, very cool. Too cool uh, in this moment. Weirded me out how cool. Weirded me out how cool she is with it. It's too cool, but they actually address that later, which I think is uh, awesome. So she says playfully, like not not mad or anything. She's like, "Oh, you'll be late, but if you show up at all, I'll consider that a victory." So like they establish in this one interaction something that we haven't seen yet that we actually thought might not have been the case, which is that Peter is actually kind of the perfect boyfriend to Liz, as opposed to what we've seen in other iterations where he's like kind of missing or late or inexplicably just like not around where he says he's supposed to be. This interaction actually like reestablishes that or establishes for the first time in this series. That actually is the case with Liz. She's just not bothered by it. Yeah. She's just like the coolest girlfriend in the world, apparently. But I think it does make sense because it's sort of what we were talking about before like in past episodes where it's like, she's got her own stuff going on. She's not in his circle. She doesn't have his same hobbies or anything. She's got her own hobbies that are very time consuming. Presumably she's in her cheerleading outfit, even though the season's over. So I don't know, maybe they have cheer competitions coming up or something, but like she's, she's got her own hobbies that take a lot of time and she knows that he works for the bugle. So it's not like he's like not giving her an excuse. He's got a, he's got a demanding job and she's like cool with that. I think she gets it. Like, Mm-hmm. They make a really weirdly good couple, and I'm really here for it. Yeah, they're like a super healthy couple, as far as we've seen. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. damn. So, at the Bugle, we cut to Foswell pitching a story about Silvermane being released from prison and using the auction to take the criminal underground away from the big man. Um, and he's pitching the story to Jameson, obviously. So Jameson kind of angrily dismisses the story. But, you know, this is kind of important exposition for us because we now fully understand, like, what Silvermane's place in all of the bidding stuff earlier was and why Sable's sort of trying to take over and everything. Jameson's kind of dismissing the story. Foswell um, 
is apparently like has a history with this where he's like dealt with Silvermane before. I think don't they say that he like was he actually like helped get him locked up into prison because of a story or something like that and, and got um, a Pulitzer for it. That's right. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. He got a Pulitzer for like for the Silvermane story originally and actually helped him get locked away. So obviously there's a connection there. Jameson thinks that he's just sort of chasing a dead story, that it's just like you're just trying to do your same Pulitzer thing again. So like that's this is nothing. I won't hear any more of it, which is a little bit silly. But like, I guess he doesn't really have like real evidence or whatever. I think and I think doesn't Jameson say it's been like 10 years or something like it's been a long time since Silvermane was put in prison. So like as as weird as it is for him to dismiss something that sounds really juicy, I do wonder, like, is this a thing Foswell's just been like bringing up for a whole decade over and over when Silvermane's already been in prison? If that's the case, I do kind of get it. And if you consider that he's, like, literally been, like, going undercover in the criminal underground and he's got yeah. a whole alternate persona that's, like, seated deeply into it, it's, mm-hmm. like, he's clearly been working on this stuff for a long time, which is necessary for investigative journalism. But if it's been, like, a really long time and it's just pursuing the same person that he already locked up, like, a long time ago, it's just going to come off like he has, like, a, like a, like a vengeful, like... <laughs> A connection or whatever like that he's kind of obsessed with Silvermane rather than like actually pursuing anything so yeah, yeah well, I think you can get it and get it. on top of that like Jameson we see this later in the episode to reinforce this a bit more strongly but the way that Jameson dismisses his Pulitzer thing is also kind of like showing off the fact that like Jameson which we already know this isn't a revelation is in for sensationalist stories and this like criminal underground gang war thing isn't sensational in the way that Jameson sort of looks for stories, which is like a hot thing right now, controversial. Who can we sort of like make the scapegoat to like sell papers? And I don't think he sees that in this intelligent, like well-researched story. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point. I don't, yeah. Jameson doesn't care about investigative journalism. One no, bit, for sure. <laughs> good point. Well, Peter overhears their conversation. He starts to hear it in a in a broom closet where he, like, enters as Spider-Man to, like, change. And he hears Jameson yelling and then makes his way sort of into the lobby. And hearing that, like, Jameson's dismissing the story, but also hearing that it might have something to do with a bunch of the criminal underground he's interacted with, particularly the big man, he approaches Foswell and offers help in the form of photos for two reasons. One, that's more for Foswell, which is to help Foswell convince Jameson, but more importantly for Peter to get inside or close to a potential big man lead, which is pretty smart. I don't know if we've really seen that before in this show yet where like, Peter's involvement as Spider-Man comes directly from working at the Bugle. Like, where, like that's how he kind of gets in on the action. Yeah. Like, a lot of times it either comes to him or it's incidental or it's from, like, the lab. And in this case, it's just sort of like, oh, a story from the Bugle about criminals. Okay, yeah. I'll pursue that. <laughs> well, there's that. There's actually – I think there's two kind of cool, unique things here. There's that, which I think you're right. Like, this series hasn't really done that. And two, have we really seen him work for anyone other than Jameson or Robbie? No, not really. He always is kind of, I mean, he's not really working with another reporter most of the time. He's kind of usually doing his own thing. Yeah, he's usually like getting an assignment. Yeah. Yeah. So I like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I like that too. That's neat. After that, we cut back to the auction room where these criminal bidders are back and they're there, but patch is not able to enter he's actually prevented from entering because his mystery employer 
pulled their account. So you think like was the the bugle was he using like the bugle's accounts for this or something? Like who else? Would I don't be... know. That's... I don't know. The fact that this happens after Jameson shuts him down makes you think that, but it still seems weird. Yeah, I'm not sure because I ha- I'm gonna I'm going to divulge something here. I just like completely forgot. Even though I know this, and if you had like interrogated me on this, I would have been able to tell you that Patch and Foswell are one and the same because it's like a big deal. But I just for some reason wasn't thinking about that because mm-hmm. he's only appeared like briefly in that one episode, like the Christmassy episode. Mm-hmm. And then reappears here. So I just like wasn't thinking about it. So before sort of like putting the obvious dots together, I was like, who would Patch's employer be? And I was like, I guess it's just like some rando underground guy. Like, is it that, is it Blackie? Like who, like who would it be? And then when we get this sort of like quote reveal, I was like, maybe it is the bugle, but Jameson was so pissed at him. I don't know if it could have been that either, but like there had to be some sort of account. Like he had to have an account to be there in the first place. And that account had to have had at least $5 million in it because they bid multiple million dollars. He wouldn't have been allowed there. Which seems surprising that that the Bugle would put up that much money for this one investigative case. So I have no idea. But he also, (laughs) I mean, because he's Patch, he has connections. I just can't imagine that if the way he uses Patch, I would be surprised if not kind of scared of him pulling a connection from the underground for this purpose. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I'm not sure. I'm also surprised Mencken would allow him to be there with a mystery employer. But I guess if you're about to hand over millions of dollars, yeah, who cares? Care where it comes from. Yeah. 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 I'm yeah. not sure. No idea who's, who's funding his research. Well, <laughs> I, I also don't we'll know. know. I, I don't know if he planned to be there for the second meeting based on what happens next. Like he might've pulled his own account. Oh, oh, you know, that would make sense, though, because you're right, because the only reason they're coming back a second time, yeah, that wasn't planned, and that's only because they needed to have, like, $50 million in there, and he obviously, even if he has, even if Foswell is just a very rich man, which, I don't know, maybe having won a Pulitzer for, like, a major, taking down a major crime boss, maybe he has a lot of money from book deals and stuff, like, I don't know. Maybe. Uh, maybe he does have a, maybe, or maybe he leveraged his 401k or something like that for this, <laughs> but, like, obviously he's not going to have $50 million, so he gets, he, so he does still show up knowing that he won't be able to get in specifically so he can plant a bug on Minkin, right? Like, is that when he does it? Because we don't actually see him do it, do we? I don't know when he does it. I also wonder if he knew who was going to be in these meetings, which I expect he would. He probably anticipated never winning this in the first place. That's not why he was there. Yeah. So I think that's fair because that's why that's why he only bids like $2 million in one cent because he's not actually trying to bid. He's just right. trying he's to, just stay, trying in the to race. stay present. Yeah. And knowing that he could have either been kicked out for not being serious or not having the funds or not being able to compete, he would have planted a bug regardless. Cause I think he would have had a backup plan. It seems like. Yeah. So either way, so maybe he planted the bug before and he was just showing it the second time just to see if he can catch any other information and then he can't. So it's like, okay, fine. Well, yeah. I'm here now. When well, he can't just not show up. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. I think that that all checks out. I can see him leveraging his 401k and potentially having $2 million in it. If he was, if he's an older veteran reporter who is very, 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 very successful and very like savvy. And if he has, if he is then this implanted in like 
his undercover investigative journalism, he probably doesn't have much of a life outside of his job anyway. So yeah, he probably is saving up a lot of money because he doesn't travel or do anything else. So. Right. Well, and it, it supports his ability to be Patch. You're not going to expect a successful author or journalist or you know, whatever to be this sort of like lackey in the underground. So it, it, yeah. it works. Okay, cool. We had to do a little work for it, but I think it all checks out. Neat. Yeah, and when and really, the like it all just stems from the fact that he has a mystery employer. Otherwise, I think it it all checks out fine. Yeah, yeah. Well, we kind of we kind of said a lot of this already, but basically, Pat shows up. He can't enter because his mystery employer pulled their account. He leaves and he approaches Peter and reveals his identity to Peter. It's like I have been Foswell all along. Big surprise. We have the exact same. High-pitched voice. Yeah. Although Peter didn't realize it. He's like, whoa, everybody has a secret identity. (laughs) I had so much fun with it because I was like, oh, my God, duh. (laughs) Which is so funny, too, because it makes that joke a few episodes ago where it's like, wow, your name is Patch and you have an eye patch. Like, wow, your parents had a lot of foresight. Right. It makes that joke have so many more, like, levels to it. Oh, totally. Nope. He just named himself that. That's great. Yeah, so it's Foswell. He's been doing this undercover work, like we said. He planted a bug on Mencken. And this means that they can listen in on the auction. Peter does ask a little bit more about the whole operation. So that's when we get some exposition about how Silvermane's release from prison is what Foswell expects to result in a gang war because he's going to try to upend the current regime that the big man has. And Doc Ock also controls part of the city or is trying to control more of the city with his supervillain empire. And I think that's where we learned, like, the only reason that the big man is the big man right now is because he took over the power vacuum left when Silvermane was taken down. And we've already had some of these conversations about a power vacuum and stuff like that Anyway, so, like, all of that has always been on the air. So Silvermane essentially is just going to try to upend and cause chaos by getting out of prison, essentially. What they're bidding on, even more interestingly, is the specs to create an army of rhino-armored super mercenaries. (laughs) Cool. What? (laughs) That's not great. That's not great. (laughs) So is this just, like, a bunch of, like, Paul Giamatti rhino-armor people? (laughs) No, I think it's literally. I think it's literally just uh, like rhino the same technology. Stuff. The same because te- because it's coming from Norman Osborn, who is the oh, one who created duh. technology. Yeah, yeah, that's that's why Norman oh, Osborn has it. And that that's what makes that makes so much sense as to why. Spoiler alert: Rhino enters the fray at some point. Why yeah. he's so invested. And if you consider that, like, out of all of the experiments that we saw in the first season that, like, Ock was involved in with, with Osborne, the Rhino one's the only one that, like, went perfectly. Like, there that wasn't an accident that he was created. It was just, like, yeah. we want to make a Rhino Man. We made a Rhino Man. Cool. Yeah. Like, so it makes sense that this is going to be, like, the most precious one because it's the one that they could replicate feasibly. I really like Doc Ock's involvement in this episode. Like, mm-hmm. I really appreciate it. And I'm not just saying that because I love Doc Ock. I think that him being in this episode and specifically the gang war and the sort of, like, power struggle that they describe in this, for me, is a good affirmation and bit of context for what we saw him doing as the master planner. Like, I think it it grounds that story a little bit more. And I I love the idea that Doc Ock is like the new kid in town mm-hmm. and that he's not even necessarily taken that seriously because Foswell even 
calls him like Doc Ock and his costumed freaks, I think. Yeah, yeah. And when you think about it, like Doc Ock is one guy with like six supervillains, which by numbers alone, you're like, well, that's that's really nothing. But you can't not at least keep your eye on him. Because all of his henchmen are superheroes or supervillains. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's yeah. like this weird position that he occupies where he sort of like forced himself into the situation by having the baddest baddies. But no, he's not like established. And he's not like – he, he barely says anything. I'm not sure he might make a bid, but he's not one of the like constant bidders. Like he just is in the room because I don't yeah. think you can ignore him. And he doesn't like, yeah, you're right. He, I don't think he has, I don't, he really doesn't say much of anything throughout this whole episode. He oh, has, he like, barely no- says anything in this episode. He has like maybe three lines. Yeah. And, and one of them isn't even in the bidding room, like with right. him. So like, yeah, you're right. Which I, yeah, you're right. I love it. And the fact that he walks in with two girls on his, like, around, like with his tentacles around two girls, like it's a whole spectacle. And he comes, he comes with, no one else comes with anybody like he comes with Vulture, right? So like yeah. it feels like he's he's making a show as like the new kid in town trying to make sure that he's like seen and taken seriously. And I yeah. think it's kind of perfect because on the surface they probably don't, but they also know that they can't just ignore him. Like Yeah, good point. Like, the big man is literally, we think, hiring his people. He's he he has like a commodity kind of. Um, and yeah. a presence, even if he doesn't yeah. necessarily have like the territory to back it up. Right. I right. love that. I think that's a really fun dynamic. Yeah. No, that is fun. And I, yeah, you're right. They use it you, and they utilize it really well. And I mean, I love that like every party in this episode contributes something to like the chaos that, that goes down. Oh my and, God. And like it's all kind of unique. And, and you're right. Like, because Doc Ock ha- contributes a very particular part <laughs> of this episode that oh, makes yeah. it. Oh, yeah even more chaotic towards the end. So yeah, it's great. We're, we're, we're rapidly getting towards that. So we're so close to where this whole episode explodes. Yeah. <laughs> and the other, the other party that I, that I think everybody kind of forgot. Cause I even forgot about it when mm-hmm. I was talking about like recapping what everybody's role in this was, is Roderick Kingsley, who we said is his first appearance. And he's the one that's like amping up the bid to like, a half a billion dollars. Um, and he's the one that like, no one fucking knows why he's here and involved in this. Yeah. And Peter, I think we're supposed asked, to forget about him too. Like you said, you were forgetting mm-hmm. about him, like in the fray. I think we're supposed to based on the way this episode is structured. Yeah. Like he's the highest bidder and somehow the least conspicuous person in the room. Yeah. And he ends up like, but he ends up like causing a lot like pretty much all mm-hmm. the chaos ultimately. And Peter even calls out like the Kingsley. Like I, I, he owns a perfume business. What? And Foswell's like, I don't know. <laughs> yep. I'm really curious about that, given the very little I know about mm-hmm. some version of Roderick Kingsley. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so yep. I don't yep. know. I don't know. <laughs> yep. And and who knows how much of this, like this show has potentially been inspired by or had homages to or coincidentally mirrored or echoed other stories at times. And I don't know much about Roderick Kingsley, but I know one thing, <laughs> uh-huh. and I'm just really curious about how yep. that may or may not fall into this story. And I'm inclined to say that it wouldn't, because I don't know where it would, but I'm not taking anything off the table. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
So, you know, back inside, like we were saying, this bidding is continuing. Kingsley bids the $500 million like he was going to. And he wins. Nobody can beat that. That's a lot of money. Um, Mencken shares that uh, Kingsley can pick up his prize in one hour at a Tribeca warehouse. Okay, cool. Outside, uh, hearing the address, Peter decides he's going to part with Foswell. He tells Foswell it's for pictures, but in reality, he's obviously going to suit up as Spider-Man and try to stop this whole deal to stop an army of rhinos from being created. And meanwhile, Foswell's like, I'm going to call the police. Okay. <laughs> yep. yep. Yeah. And, and, and this is where everything turns into pure chaos. Hello, amazing friends. We just wanted to take a quick moment to shout out our spectacular and up patrons, Gemma Nicole, Katie, Joe, Greg, Mike, Flux, Eric, and Carl. If you would like to join our Patreon, we have a ton of great bonus content waiting for you. We have our Spider Bites, where we talk about pretty much whatever we want in the Spider-Man universe, such as comics, like the current Miles Morales series, and classics like Kraven's Last Hunt. Sometimes we do deep dives into Spider-Man stuff, like our miniseries on the unmade Spider-Man movies. Or we spin off into other topics, like the Blade movies or the Firestar comics. Sometimes we'll do some bonus content just because we happen to have it, like Peaks Behind the Curtain or how we make certain episodes. And if you join us at the $5 Spectacular level, you also get access to our After Dark commentaries, where we let loose and talk about shows that aren't Spider-Man related without a filter. Shows like Gargoyles, Batman Beyond, Muppet Babies, and more. Ultimately, these are the types of things that we're going to talk about anyway, so recording it and making it available on Patreon is our way of saying thank you so much for supporting this show and letting us do the types of things we really want to do. Whatever tier you opt into, thank you so much. Whether you're an avid listener or just stopping by, we appreciate that too. From your friendly neighborhood podcasters, thank you. This episode is a fucking ride. And I, I absolutely recommend it, if only because it's it's just a goddamn spectacle. And mm-hmm. it, it knows exactly what it's doing. Nothing it's doing is by mistake. It turns into like a sort of like rat race-ish, but not really sort of situation where like everybody's just trying to like, I guess the finish line is the thing that they're trying to to acquire, but they're all just like fumbling over themselves doing it. And that's yeah. literally the rest of the episode. It's just like all these different parties clashing over this one thing. Here's what this episode is. This episode is if the Tablet of Time two-parter from the 90s show was good. Ooh! Because <laughs> it is a bunch of villains fighting Ooh. over a MacGuffin having and tricking each other and do, having a bunch of subterfuge with Spidey just kind of incidentally involved to the point that they don't even want him involved. Silvermane is even technically like vaguely involved in this, even though he's more of a presence than actually actively here. Yeah. It's, it's just the tablet. Yeah. It, it, and there's also no like awkward cultural appropriation involved either. It's literally, Love but it's that. literally what they were, <laughs> what they were trying to do with the tablet of time. Like here's an important thing. Yeah. All the villains are fighting over it. Chaos ensues, but instead of it involving tons of kidnapped women and it being utterly confusing for where this tablet is at any given time, it's easier to follow. No one's kidnapped and everyone involved like has a very clear role and place in it. And it's lots of fun fight sequences. About yes. Oh my God, that's exactly what it is. Ooh, ooh, yes, ooh, so good. 
Ah, <laughs> oh, all right. Well, let's get to it. Just because at this point, almost everything is just pure cotton candy. Um, uh-huh. So an hour later at the warehouse, Kingsley arrives to retrieve the specs, but is immediately stopped by the police, which we expected because Foswell called them. Before they can actually apprehend Kingsley, though, or the specs, a helicopter flies in and initiates a firefight with Kingsley's men. <laughs> so firefight right off the bat. Silver Sable jumps out of the helicopter, pursues and restrains Kingsley, and takes the specs. So right off the bat, we know, like, okay, well, Kingsley did not win this because everybody is not giving up on this thing that they are trying to win from an auction. Uh-huh. She's got the specs now. She attempts to leave in her helicopter. But then Spider-Man's like, I'm going to intervene now. He is able to retrieve the specs right off the bat. But uh, his spider sense goes off just in time to avoid a headbutt from Hammerhead. Um, Which I don't know if they've had that much of a confrontation before. So there's going to be a full-on clash between Spidey and Hammerhead. Which results in Hammerhead now taking the specs. (laughs) Yes. Hammerhead has entered the fight. Yes. Did we, I don't think we mentioned the gun that Silver Sable has is just like a giant staple gun. Okay. We should mention that because I was so confused because (laughs) what it shoots in no way reflects the way the gun looks. (laughs) No, it's a circular If you have uh, to make them staples because she can't have bullets, make the gun look like a weird future weapon, like that shoots big staples. Because I'm fine with the staple aspect of it. I think that's fucking fun. She uses it in really cool ways. Yeah, but yeah, it does not look like it would shoot staples out of it. So bizarre. Yeah, it's it's weird. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But hey, staple gun, that's cool. (laughs) Yep, yep. Well, she sets the staple gun aside for just a moment in order to shoot Spider-Man and Hammerhead with a fucking missile. Love it. Rad. Awesome. Great. <laughs> and it explodes, as you would expect. Of course it does. And, you know, this is insane. Like, this is this is ridiculous. There's explosions from missiles. There's gun, staple guns, probably real guns. So the Kingsley helicopter has guns. <laughs> helicopter with guns. So Kingsley is literally running away screaming. He passes an on-looking Foswell, who sees Silver Sable, once again, retrieve the specs, so it's past hands again. Um, and then she gets hit by Hammerhead's car. <laughs> yeah. She's, like, running away trying to, like, get to her helicopter. And his car, like, zooms in. And the, the driver's side door opens and just, like, smashes into her. <laughs> the, 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 the limo driver, I love. I love that the limo driver is, is so she, heavily though? involved in this. She rules. And I really want to know if she's, like, somebody from the comics or anything. Because she is, know. like... She's like she's Hammerhead's secret weapon because that oh, limo yeah. just like is all over the place. She's and amazing. She's great at it. Yeah, this is like some Fast and Furious shit happening. She's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. So she gets hit by a car or the door of a car, um, and she drops the specs. So Silver Sable and Hammerhead see that the specs are on the ground, and they both do that thing where they like look at it, look at each other, and then like run for the specs. But before they can get to him, Spidey webs the specs away. Spider-Man tries to take them and get away from the warehouse, but is cut down from his webbing by Silver Sable's shuriken and is then chased by the helicopter that shoots at him with a Gatling gun. Of course it does. (laughs) 
Spider- of course it does. Of course it does. Of course it does. And this is like, again, still amidst just like absolute chaos and explosions. And like at all times, something is like blowing up or breaking. Spider-Man yep. is like running away from this helicopter, being shot at by a Gatling gun. And he says to himself, at least Ock didn't get involved. And I was fully expecting, of course, Doc Ock to then emerge and I actually love that he doesn't because instead it cuts to Doc Ock and Rhino sitting on a bench in like a park next to the river. And they just are like chatting very quietly. And yeah. Doc Ock just says, like, he, ha- I think he hands a folder to Rhino and says, I thought you'd want to know. And then like puts his tentacle on Rhino's shoulder. Mm. And then we cut back. <laughs> It's such a sweet little moment. It's so funny. <laughs> but, I do yes, actually yes. like it, and I, I, I would love to spend just a moment on it because Please, yeah. it's it's kind of like unexpectedly tender. But when you consider that Doc Ock, one, has worked with all these supervillains that he's trying to like use as his sort of like supervillain army and really believes in like the supervillains as kind of like the next step in humanity. He almost has like a Magneto vibe. Yeah, sure. Where like he and the supervillains will like inherit the earth. He has to care about them. I think for that Uh, to really like work. And I know he's, I know he's using Rhino, but I also do think he probably to some degree, if he doesn't care about them as individuals cares about them as, either just like the next stage of humanity in like the supervillains will inherit the earth or there is a part of him that was created by an accident and all the other people around him that he sort of employed minus Rhino kind of, but also still tragic in a way were sort of also created by those same circumstances. So I feel like there has to be something there. I want to believe it. We'll see. Um, I just want to believe that there's some genuine tenderness there, even though he's absolutely using Rhino. I like, yeah, I like where you're going with it. I think it's really just more that he just doesn't want to level the playing field and having someone else have an army of rhinos would lessen his, uh, his abilities as, as a potential crime lord because that's going to oh. kind of devalue him having the super, having the super villains on his side. I absolutely agree with that as to why he wants to stop this or have the technology. Like, don't get me wrong. But I don't think that necessarily conflicts with sure. the idea that, like, there's more to what he's doing than just world domination. Yeah, I think or, that's fair. That's fair. Or, those aren't even in opposition. It's definitely world domination. But I do think there's some sort of, like, identity attached to it. Okay. Okay. I buy that. I like that. I'm cool <laughs> with that. We'll I also that. think it's really clever that he doesn't get involved in the fight directly. Yeah. yeah. Whereas everybody yeah. else does. Like, he's, he's outbraining them, basically. Well, he is, but also, if you think about it, other, outside of Roderick Kingsley, like, Hammerhead and Sable are both technically, technically representing the real crime lords. And I think Doc Ock would probably recognize that. And it's like, if I am to be a quote-unquote real crime lord, like, a really respected one, Ooh. I'm not going to do my own dirty work. I'm going to send someone in to do my dirty work for me, just like Big Man and Silvermane does. I love that angle, too. Yeah. I like that a lot, too. Definitely challenges a little bit the idea that he cares for them as individuals, but I'm still going to hold on to the idea that there's, at the very least, some identity wrapped up in it. He can contain multitudes. He does contain (laughs) multitudes. (laughs) Sure. You want him to contain multitudes, so we'll pretend that he does. I need him to contain multitudes. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, honestly, like the really intelligent thing here is that he's using Rhino in an intelligent way and manipulating Rhino to an extent, sure. despite them having a, a shared interest in stopping what's going on mm-hmm. and not involving himself directly, which yeah. is really smart. Yeah, I agree. I like it. I like his role in this. Yep. Well, <laughs> back of the warehouse, chaos reigns. <laughs> Hammerhead and Silver Sable go head to head, and Silver Sable reveals, uh, which it, this has been implied up to this point with the weird flirtation that they've had, Silver Sable and Hammerhead are actually exes. I was not expecting that, actually. Really? Because, okay. because yeah. Hammerhead said, you're all grown up now. Which yeah. typically is something someone says to an adult that they knew as a child. So I was very much not expecting them to have been a couple. I was expecting Hammerhead to know her when she was a kid, which makes this very weird. What I really want to believe, because it's hard to tell ages on the show, right? right. It's hard to, like, That's what I'm hoping. I'm banking on what you're about to say. <laughs> yeah, so Hammerhead looks like he's old. But I think that's just because of the way that his design in his head yeah. is. He might not necessarily be all that old. So, and there, there's sort of like, and there are two, there are actually two options, I think, that sh- that can make both of us feel better with this. Option A is that he was also young, that they dated when they were yeah. like teenagers. They were like and, young, up and coming underground criminals. Yeah, or young adults. And this is just the first time that he's seen her in years. Yeah. That's possible. Option two, which I think would still work, is that... Even if they were dating as both adults and she's not actually that much younger than him or younger than him at all, it's more that maybe when they were dating, she wasn't fully immersed in the criminal underground and maybe was a little bit more of an innocent woman and now is fully immersed into being like a badass mercenary. And so when he sees her show up at the at the meeting and she's like in this beautiful dress and exuding confidence and literally representing her father in this major like in this major bidding war that's happening it's like it's not that she's growing up in age it's that she's grown up in like general maturity and into yeah. her like role in this it's like oh wow you're not just like a lady i dated anymore you're like a crime lord yourself yeah it's not a literal grow up it's like a criminal glow up but i'm um, that wasn't really meant to rhyme, but it did. <laughs> I think it works. No, but I think that works. And I I have to imagine that's what they meant. Um, it's just, yeah, there's there's implication. You just don't really think about that when he says it at first. You take it one way. Yeah. And then it's like gives you a double take later. But I think that both of those things make a lot more sense. Than they need to. What we were, they need to make yeah. a lot more sense. <laughs> yeah. Because the thing is, because the thing is, I do really like their weird exes energy that they have their weird x energy is great they make it a lot of fun yeah so taking away the creepiness factor which i think that we've explained away enough and i think that's probably probably what was meant when it was written i think that it works really well i love their dynamic that they have it's so fun they're so funny they're so funny and it's the perfect ingredient to add to this already absolutely chaotic mix yes so spider-man ends up like hearing this or i like puts it together perhaps and interjects basically to say, like, ew. And the two are sort of like, well, what the fuck? Like, who needs this guy? Like, he's so annoying. He's always here. Maybe we partner up and, I think, as Silver Sable puts it, delete Spider-Man from the equation. Okay. Cool. That might have been a hammerhead. That sounds more like a hammerhead thing. I don't remember who says it, but that sounds Not like something either. he would say. In any yeah. case, they agree. And so they begin to move in on Spider-Man, but he webs them together. 
which is cute since they're exes. Aww. Aww. And they, de- they definitely <laughs> still have sexual tension, so it's, it's good. I oh, like yeah. It. For sure. Well, <laughs> Spider-Man uses this opportunity to, like, grab and open up the box. And when he does, he discovers that there's actually no USB in there, which means the specs not present. Hammerhead and Silver Sable kind of, like, put together the fact that Kingsley must have double-crossed them. Hammerhead, of course, is like, no, 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 he double-crossed you, and he must have given you a fake box and taken the real thing with him when he ran away. That sucks. (laughs) Yep. So Silver Sable ends up, like, freeing them from Spidey's webbing, and they both leave in, like, genuinely badass fashion. She, She cuts the web, and she, like, jumps up. And, like, just sort of, like, crouches on his chest. Like, her feet are on his chest and her hands are on his shoulders. And there's, like, this moment of pause where he and us as the audience are like, what the fuck is going on here? And, and her then face she, is right up at his face. Like, are so they going to, like, awkwardly kiss right now? Like, what's happening? So good. <laughs> but then they, like, they like change the angle so that you see his back and her face. And then a helicopter fucking flies by and she like launches off of his chest, grabs the helicopter and just like departs like on the side of the helicopter, which at first you're like, holy shit, that was so dope. He looks like such a fool. And then his driver drives by and he just like hops on the side of the car and does that equally as cool. (laughs) It's such a swift sequence. Have never liked Hammerhead as much as I have it in my life. And Silver Sable, Huge honestly, never same. really never really cared much about her, but she fucking rules in this. They're both so cool. I yes. love it. A hundred percent yes. I never would have expected either one of them to make me go, holy shit, that was so fucking cool. And they both did it in a matter of seconds. Yeah, it's great. Amazing. This episode rules. This episode fucking rules. There so is like much fun. zero there is like zero depth in this episode. It doesn't fucking matter. This episode rules. It's a pure <laughs> ride. It's purely yeah. like an amusement park attraction, and I love it. Yep. <laughs> so that happens, and Spider-Man's like, I'm out. And he leaves. Uh, he says goodbye to Foswell, who, amidst all of the destruction and, like, fire around him, just says very sadly and dejected to himself, well, there goes my story. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah. Yep. Back in the city, we, we see Kingsley uh, arriving at the top of a parking structure with the specs and celebrating his bait and switch only to be confronted by Rhino. Because <laughs> you might have thought this episode was about to slow down. Yeah. It does not. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, so Rhino stomps the floor of the structure, knocking Kingsley over the edge. And isn't it in his attempt to uh, grab the side of the structure, Kingsley, of course, drops the specs. But they're retrieved by Silver Sable flying by in her helicopter <laughs> and then immediately tackled out of her hands by Hammerhead. <laughs> We just took the fight from the warehouse to apparently like Kingsley's home office. I don't know. His parking structure. (laughs) On a rooftop. Just like they make you think that the chaos is over and then immediately pick it right back up. Yep. Yep. (laughs) It's amazing. Oh, by the way, Spider-Man's there. Yeah, in case he forgot, he's part of this too. He's like, <laughs> I don't get to do any of the cool stuff. Everybody else is doing all this cool shit. And all I'm doing is webbing people and kicking them. I need to do uh-huh. something cooler. <laughs> I'm just trying to get this thing and get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah, so the clashing is happening. Um, Rhino focuses his attention on Spider-Man since everyone else is kind of busy fighting each other over their specs. And, he, and you know, Rhino crashes Spidey through the floor. <laughs> Hammerhead's driver hits Silver Sable again with the car, <laughs> I think with the door. This time legitimately with the car. No door, just straight okay, up hits her okay. with the car. Gotcha. Um, doesn't a door when ha- okay? Then the door happens after that. Oh gotcha. yeah. There's so much hitting with cars in this. Episode. Silver it's Sable crazy. gets abused by this car. How is she alive? <laughs> How is anybody How on is this show alive? alive, especially after this episode? Good point. Good point. Good <laughs> point. Yeah. So Silver Sable hit by a car, tries to escape, stopped by Rhino. Um, when he tosses Spidey at the car, Silver Sable shoots one of the tires out so the car can't get away. She approaches the car, hammerhead, bashes her head with the door. She literally has like a little like take where she like passes out for a second. <laughs> uh, like it's literally the thing where he hits her with the door, closes the door. She's there like eyes rolling in the back of her head and falls backwards. Like it's super cartoonish, mm-hmm. but it fucking rules. <laughs> he, <laughs> he, he has the USB drive now and he has a little slip because he's like, oh, I got uh, a my drive, I mean the big man's drive. Mm, what's going on there, buddy, in your head? That's that's curious. Very unsubtle. Not an accident. <laughs> Put a pin in that for later. <laughs> <sighs> and then, and then Rhino is like, I'm still here. So he attacks Rhino, shouting, no more rhinos! Which then goes, like, segues into the next part of the episode that I don't feel like anybody would predict at all. Nope. Is that, like... Rhino, I mean, uh, Spider-Man recognizes Rhino hearing this and is like, okay, so here, here's where we're at. Oh, shit. I'm sorry. In all this madness, I miss, you miss like one of my favorite bits is when Spidey and Rhino first meet up, Spidey just throws a uh, park, uh, the, oh my God, what do they call it? Like a traffic, traffic triangle. Cone? Yeah. No, traffic cone. Spidey throws a traffic cone on Rhino's horn just for no reason, just because yeah. he's having fun. And he's like, I got the thing on the thing. What do I win? Spider-Man because he's not like a main player in this is just a pain in the ass. And it's <laughs> he amazing. Really he's having so much fun, man. Oh, yeah. Peter, Peter really needed to let loose after all the trauma that he's gone through. So I'm glad that he had this moment. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he throws the traffic on Rhino's head. Oh, I got the thing on the thing. What do I win? Rhino says, you. And Spidey says, I win me? <laughs> that makes no sense. <laughs> Love that line. Love that line. Anyway, back to the chaos. <laughs> so Spidey is like, recognizing that Rhino's motivation, why he's here is because he doesn't want any more Rhinos. He also wants to destroy the drive. And they're the only two people involved in this that don't want it for their own like use. They both of them want to destroy it. So he's like, Hey Rhino, we share a common goal. Do you want to actually like weird, but do you want to team up and destroy the drive together? And Rhino laughs a lot. It's really funny. He's like, "Ah, okay. (laughs) I love that moment. (laughs) Great. Uh, it's great. It's great. So, okay. Yeah. So now Spider-Man and Rhino are like teamed up and they're not technically teamed up against like Silver Sable and Hammerhead as a team, but there's now these like two distinct sides, like you said, like the people who want it and the people who want to destroy it. Right. So the, the, the clash continues to happen. The specs exchange hands a few more times. I don't even remember exactly how, but they ultimately end up with Silver Sable who along with her helicopter's machine guns, attempt to shoot Rhino. And it doesn't work because he's fucking Rhino. Yep. It's great. It's great. It's great. Oh, boy. Well, so Spidey webs the helicopter, prompting it to fly off. I think he, like, webs the the windshield of it so they, like, can't see. So they have to go away and land or whatever. 
Hammerhead and Silver Sable scuttle, uh, scuffle once again, but only briefly this time because Rhino just tosses Spider-Man right into them. Does like a fastball special with him. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, I love that. I mean, we don't really see them teaming up for very long, but I love that that's like a thing that happens when they've teamed up. It's fun. They do really well together. They do. They do, actually. <laughs> <laughs> There's a moment I forgot to mention. I don't remember exactly when it happens, but I'm confident it's already happened, where Silver Sable is trying to tackle Hammerhead, and she does so by, like, using Rhino's enormous horn as, like, a bar to swing around. She just, like, <laughs> hops down and, like, swings around it a couple times and, like, launches herself off of Rhino's horn, and he just, like, stands there and, like, doesn't do anything. It's so great. It's great. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, okay. Uh where are we at? So Fastball special. Yeah, Spidey gets yeah, Spidey gets launched into them. It knocks the specs out of their hands and onto the ground, and Rhino crushes them. So, okay, cool. Their uh their little mission is done. But now that the specs are destroyed, Rhino's like, I don't need Spider-Man anymore. So <laughs> I'm gonna kill you now. I still hate you. <laughs> yeah, and he does, you know. Yeah. Spidey's annoying. So he rams <laughs> Spider-Man. But unfortunately, this compromises the parking structure's stability. I like Spidey's response, like, when when Rhino announces that he's breaking off their agreement. Spidey's like, I'm shocked. Shocked, I tell you. I love that moment so much. Isn't that where, like, uh, Spidey's, like, hanging upside down? Yep. And, like, being a total fucking weirdo? I love it. It's so good. (laughs) (laughs) So... Seeing that the parking structure is about to fall, Silver Sable and Hammerhead escape in their respective vehicles, which should not be understated, especially in the case of Hammerhead, because his driver once again pulls her Fast and Furious shit and, like, manages to get away from that thing and, like, drift the entire limousine, like, onto, like, another building roof from the parking structure. It's incredible. She's incredible. (laughs) Yeah. In any case, Rhino rams another one of the parking structure's support columns nearby to Spider-Man, to which Spider-Man replies, you missed me. And Rhino says, I wasn't aiming for you with like the same cadence, which I love. And then Spider-Man's like, I cannot believe he just got me with the same gag I used on Shocker. Thank you for acknowledging that. And I love the karmic aspect of this exactly. You dropped a building on Shocker? You're getting a building dropped on you. <laughs> you careless a building on a fool. Dude, dude. Come on, man. Yep. Amazing. Yep. Incredible. Especially because we haven't even seen the shocker this whole episode. Like, whole season has been nowhere. Nope. But I love that he brings it up for this. Well, I guess they yep. mentioned him like, we're shocker. But whatever. Yeah, but he didn't really appear. Yeah, yeah. So Spider-Man has a building drop on him. He's he's fine. He's always fine. Peter does not Peter does not get hurt by things in the no. show. Um, <laughs> but uh, the police arrive at the scene and they shoot canisters of like a knockout gas at Rhino, just as he's pulling the rubble off of himself to to run. So he Rhino passes out. So they're able to kind of deal with him pretty quickly. And and it's uh it's clever because because Captain Stacy like mentions that like he thought of it because that's how like he was knocked out by by. Was it Sable that threw it originally? Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, I got the idea from Silver Sable. Like, so I just also brought knockout gas and uh, yay, smart way to take out Rhino, I guess. And Spidey also briefly emerges. And like we said, despite having a building knocked on him, he's fine. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. He briefly checks, checks in with Captain Stacy, who calls after him. Never hurts to have someone watch your back. Leastways, 
that's what I tell my students. And the doo 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 musical sting <laughs> that implies that Jack and Stacy just said something ominous about Peter's identity plays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wonder if we're supposed to pay attention to it. We're definitely supposed to pay attention to it. (laughs) (laughs) So back at the skyscraper where the auction was being held, the chaos is over, by the way. That signals the end of the chaos. (laughs) At the skyscraper, Mencken finishes a phone call with Kingsley, telling him that securing the specs was Kingsley's responsibility and that the funds will not be transferred back. No refunds. Doesn't matter if you've got the thing or or not. He then speaks with Norman Osborne, to whom he confirms no one was aware that Kingsley's drive was also a fake. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Leaving Osborne with half a billion dollars and the original specs to do with as he sees fit. Interesting. Good gambit on on Osborne's part, honestly. That's Mm -hmm. lots of money now. Yeah, that's, see, that's, that's the Xanatos gambit that I was talking about <laughs> back in the the Sinister Six episode that I that I expect that I also expect Ock to do sometimes. Osborne did it just perfectly in this episode. Yeah, Ock got got. Yeah, he really did. I mean, I guess if you kind were to of. believe like he, he like I think he's fine as long as the is as long yeah. as nobody else has the specs, which I mean, he doesn't know that Osborne has it. So technically he got got, but Ock still got what he wanted in that it's not in the hands of like other any other criminal underlords over over under wait under i combined underworld with overlords criminal over, underworld overlords. overlord <laughs> yeah whatever it's it's not in the hands of anybody but norman at least and yeah you know, so i guess he got got in a way that doesn't really matter because he breaks even like the yeah. the information he was trying to prevent other people from getting from mankin ends up in the same hands that it was in before in norman osborne right exactly Okay, well, later, Peter does arrive at Liz's place, so he does actually show up, and it's a victory. Um, unfortunately, he is very late. So he shows up at, at, at Liz's, uh, he apologized for missing their dinner date, and Liz is fine. She's like, I'm not mad. Hey, at least he showed this time. You know, he literally says verbatim, I kind of don't deserve you. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Correct. Yep. Yeah. She doesn't <laughs> fight him on it either. She's like, you're right, you don't, but we can work on that. Yeah, Liz is so cool. So cool. Liz is so cool. <laughs> yeah. Do you hear that, Peter? Liz is so cool. Nope. He thinks he doesn't to himself, hear that. You know, they say goodnight. Peter walks away thinking, wow, Gwen is so cool. I mean, Liz, Liz. It's wow. silly. But you know what? You know what it reminds me of, though? I don't know how intentional this was, but I think this resonates with me in a very particular way in like when you're a closeted gay kid who is desperately trying to believe that you're not into boys and you're having those very direct thoughts. It's so stupid the way that you'll rationalize that stuff. And it's just like that man is hot. I mean, I mean, the woman is hot. The woman is hot. (laughs) Like it's so it's it's like I mean, it's like that, you know? Yeah. No, Um, it's just like fighting in your own head with something that you like don't want to believe or don't want yeah. to accept or don't yeah. want whatever the case may be to like manifest in the way you're thinking about it. Yeah. Cause you know, at this point, like, what is he going to do? Like he, it is, he isn't a, he, there's, he can't pursue Gwen cause the, she has a, he has a girlfriend and she has a boyfriend. So like all he can do is be in denial about it and it sucks and that shouldn't be how it is. And he needs to like be upfront with himself. But like, I understand why you're in that position to be in denial because like 
everything should be great and he should be okay with it. And he needs, and he's just continuing to tell himself that it's great. Even when clearly something is uh, off with him. That's such a good point too, about him being in a relationship and Gwen being in a relationship because there've always been these complications in the relationships he's trying to make work or make sense of. And in this Mm -hmm. case, now that he's realized or had like a very direct thought and experience of like, Gwen is cool. I like Gwen. He actually can't just very simply pursue Gwen, like you said, because even if he breaks up with Liz, Gwen is still in a relationship. If Gwen breaks up with Harry, Peter's still in a relationship. Like there's not a simple one step fix to this. Like there would be if she and Harry weren't together or if Peter and Liz weren't together. Like it's such a nice, simple, realistic complication. Uh Uh-huh. Great stuff. They really do this relationships drama stuff very well, even when they only get super minor scenes like this. Yeah. Well, close up this episode. Back at the Bugle, Jameson is yelling at Foswell for bringing him the gang war story yet again. He didn't want it. Foswell needs to bring him a different story, this time about a rogue Spider-Man teaming up with Rhino. But Peter interrupts with photos showing that actually they're the same story. And Jameson's like, all right, fine. Foswell, give me your story. The end. (laughs) Yeah. It's where it ends. Foswell wins. (laughs) Yay. Good for him. He worked very hard on that, clearly. For a decade. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) Yep. Cool. Couple faces of the episode. Um, When Peter arrives at the at the bugle, like at the beginning of the episode, like he takes off his mask and they draw him with like super messy hair, which is very realistic and never done in any show ever. His hair would be a mess in that mask, especially when he gets all sweaty with it. But there's like a frame of it after he takes it off where he just looks between his like sad eyes and and, and disheveled hair, just like a very look of depression that I think we all Mm -hmm. can understand and relate to nowadays. We feel you, man. (laughs) <laughs> the other one which i had had to grab oh of course is from the moment when rhino crashes through the floor and this is after he's decided like we're not a team anymore and spider-man like creeps down on his web upside down and then does that weird thing where he's like <laughs> oh man are you real blah 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 and like does this weird dramatic thing he doesn't just like act weird and quippy like with his words but he like poses in like weird cartoonish ways like while he's doing it but he's doing it all behind rhino's back so like you see rhino just being like totally over it and like hunched over and like is this over yet while spider-man in the background is just like being the most cartoon character he could possibly be it's amazing it's great it's great it's really a moment ballerina kind of like toe toe tipping thing he's doing like reverse splits yeah yeah Like, if a split is at 180 degrees, he's, like, easily at, like, 240. It's ridiculous. (laughs) It's the type of thing you can only do with with the spider person, and it's great. And make it, and have it, like, not look completely horrifying. So true. Yeah, it's great. (laughs) It's great. Fun episode, man. That's the best way to describe it. It's just a fun episode, and clear, like, it has an important element to it. Like, the kernel that they are that they are building all this chaos around is important, mm-hmm. but ultimately they're just making a fun as fuck episode. And they deliver that exactly in the way that you would want. Yeah, it is. It is. I will say, uh, I would be remiss to not point it out, but I did think about the fact that 
this is like the for the first like straight up like female villain that we've gotten in this show in Silver Sable. It is kind of a bummer that she's like her whole her whole characterization is tied to being a daughter and an ex girlfriend. <laughs> That's, like, not great. But that said, she still fucking rules. She's so cool. They make her so cool. And everything that yeah. everybody does is so well animated. They make these characters that we should not care about so fun and cool. Yeah, it's so funny. Like, and, and it's, it's like, funny, but it all works. Like, they're yeah. all sort of, like, the top henchmen or, like, the number one for their respective bosses. So, like, yeah, they're not the A-listers that you would get in the Sinister Six or people that you might, necess- like, might be super obsessed with unless you have, like, a very particular connection to them. Mm-hmm. But they end up being cool and none of it is, like, shoehorned. It's, like, yeah, it's so good. <laughs> Fully agree. Yeah, it's great. It's such It was such a fun episode. And it was such a – especially, like, after – not that, like, the, the, the last week's episode with Identity Crisis was such a strange one to think through. And it was kind of, like, not that – Saying that this was a reprieve, it sounds really dramatic, but in that, like, there was, like, so little that needed to be thought about with this one, like, intentionally so, like, it was crafted to be just, like, let's just go balls to the wall with it, and they did. Well, and yeah. It off, and it's rad. Because it's the first episode in an arc, so it plans mm-hmm. this this little kernel that I'm certain will will continue to grow over the course of this arc or the series, or would have depending on where this ultimately goes in the immediate sense. And once they've planted the kernel, they're like, all right, playground is open. Mm-hmm. It's, oh, it's so much fun. I, I I wouldn't want every episode to be like this, but I feel like this one does exactly the right thing if you're going to do an episode like this, when you're yeah. going to do it. Yep. So good. Yep. Cool. So much Dig fun. Dig it. Dig it. Love it. Super fun. Other super fun stuff is on our Patreon at patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers. Lots of bonus episodes with lots of fun stuff in it. So you should go there and become a patron, and it's great. If you want to find other fun stuff from us individually, where can we find you, Doug? You can find me on Twitter at IckyBooley, I-C-K-Y-B-O-O-L-E-Y. You can also find me on another podcast here on the 4 Eyed Radio Network called Victory Road, a Pokemon podcast where my co-host Kyle and I talk about Pokemon just as we feel like it. And if you like books, video games, or like to dabble in pop culture, you should check me out on another podcast called Novel Gaming, which you can find anywhere you get your podcast. It's one where my friends Katie, Vicky, and I talk about everything we're reading, playing, and just can't get out of our heads. Derek, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Derek B. Gale. You can also find me on YouTube under my video essay series, Second Chance, which looks at bad or divisive media, but from a positive lens. If you would like to find both of us doing another podcast together, you can check out our monthly podcast. It is called Falling with Style, an ongoing Pixar movie marathon, where we're watching every Pixar film chronologically and talking about it in depth. That is available wherever you get your podcasts every month. You can also visit us on our website at wallopingwebsnappers.com, on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at wallopingwebpod, or email us at wallopingwebsnapperspodcast at gmail.com. We would also really love it if you could rate, review, and subscribe to us anywhere you get your podcasts, but especially on Apple Podcasts. You have definitely heard it before, but it is the best place for people to find podcasts through ratings and reviews. But next week... Spidey is going on a ride-along with someone unexpected in Probable Cause. I feel like it's probably not that unexpected, but I don't know, so we'll see. You're going to be disappointed. Bye. Bye.
My cat is attacking my head. <laughs> His paws are literally on my head right now. Wow. Hey. I mean. He's like grabbing my head like you would grab a, a crystal ball. Oh, Ow. No. What are you doing? Oh, no. If you're just going to attack me, get down. <laughs> get this down. is chaos, chaos episode 2.0. <laughs>